you went originally sort of into meditation and stuff. How did that, what's your backstory? How did you sort of get involved in this and come across this? Uh, well, I was incredibly reluctant. I mean, you're absolutely right. I was incredibly reluctant. My, I have a twin brother. He, uh, we had labeled him a hippie, you know, I don't know, I don't know whether, what it's like for other twins. I think maybe other twins are very similar, but me and my twin were very different. And uh, he was the kind of soft one. I was the go-getting crazy one. And therefore it was unsurprising that he, as we grew older, got into our early twenties, was doing this thing called meditation. And I was doing this thing called partying hard. And I was the <laughs> king. <laughs> I was the king of stress. He was the king of calm. And when you, you might imagine that when my twin brother then suggests that I might benefit from this thing called meditation, I'm like, get lost. I'm loving this stressful, <laughs> fast paced life. Leave me alone. <laughs> but very reluctantly for his benefit, in my mind, I, I sort of indulged him. I tried it a few times, only about four times over the course of a year. And really annoyingly, I had to concede that he was right, that I was actually benefiting. And within six months, really, you know, of so after that first year, after six months of deciding to try meditation on a more regular basis, actually everything changed for me. I moved back into a more creative role. I started to discover, if I'm honest, I started to discover the old me before the pressures of uni and debts and running around like a headless chicken. I found the original me, the sort of younger me that was calmer, happier, freer you might say so yeah I had to admit that he was right I was wrong meditation was actually helpful but I, and I haven't looked back since that was 20 years ago welcome to live love laugh and learn the podcast that helps you be more do more and get more out of life life's not long enough to make all our mistakes ourselves so we share great ideas and interview fabulous and successful people so we can learn the secrets to living life on purpose, loving what we do, and leading a fun-packed life. And here's your host, Chris Williams. Hi, thanks for listening. Bit of a milestone with the Live, Love, Laugh and Learn podcast in that it, this is the 20th episode, so we've joined the 20 Plus Club. And I wanted to apologise, really. If you've been listening regularly, you may have experienced a situation where I've moved some of the episodes across to a private podcast platform. And that's not to be awkward. I want you to still have access to it. But if you haven't subscribed yet, then just drop me an email at chris at chriswilliams.biz so you get all of the access there. But this podcast, episode 20, is not private, it's public. So you can listen to your heart's content. And I've really, really enjoyed recording this one. I enjoy recording all of them. This one's with Paul Goundry, who has an organisation and website called Watchfulness. And this episode's all about mindfulness. And one of the things that I've hugely personally benefited from is meditation. And it's been really good to chat to Paul about this because I would just love everybody to have the enthusiasm to meditate like what I have now. But I wasn't always this way. And 
some of the clients that I coach, I suggest, you know, meditation is a great way to relieve stress and just enjoy life more and be able to chill more and be more tranquil. And all things I think important for our health and well-being. But it does seem a bit weird, you know, and I I sort of recognise that. So it's been great to chat to Paul about his thoughts and ideas around it. And I really think it's going to help you if you're considering meditation but never done it, thought it was a bit woo-woo. This episode really, really is for you. If you already meditate like I do, then it's also for you because there's some great ideas in there. There's some real good snippets. There's some scientific evidence proving that uh, meditation is really, really good for you. So I've included in the episode notes links to the Harvard Medical School that Paul mentions, his website as well, where you can get free meditation. He talks about that as well. Can't wait for you to hear it. So I'm really excited today. We have got Paul Gandry of Watchfulness on the podcast. And I know he's got some great information to share with us. So, Paul, welcome this morning. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, mate. Lovely to see you. Now, Paul, we've I mentioned the name of uh, Watchfulness. Could you talk us through what what is that exactly? What's the background to it? it you, I know you've got a website, but maybe you can enlighten us. Yeah, so I, sort of back in 1999, I, my brother, I have a twin brother, um, and for those of you with twins or with any siblings, you know how competitive we are, and uh, I was mad stressed, I was like the king of stress, I own stress, and there was my twin brother who we had labelled a hippie, he'd been doing this weird thing called meditation for a couple of years, and we're like, what a hippie? And he tried to persuade me that I needed it. I would benefit from it. And of course, I wasn't interested. But very reluctantly, only a few times over the course of the year, I gave it a shot. And it really helped me. And I unfortunately had to concede that he was right. I was wrong. And I haven't looked back since then, really. And so as part of charities, I've been teaching um, meditation for more than 20 years. And... I realized in the more, maybe like three years ago, four years ago, I realized that businesses, the people within businesses were struggling more than most in society. The pressure that work puts on us um, and certainly the pressure of constant change, constant uncertainty, but it's quite difficult to go into business and, and, and introduce something like meditation because it's almost, that's a hobby people do. You don't do that in work. So that's where I came up with the idea for watchfulness was how do we take some of the principles that have been taught for thousands of years in meditation and make it accessible, bring it down to earth, make it more accessible for people in their everyday lives, in the working lives. And that's where watchfulness was born. And it is, it's a not-for-profit. I do it for anybody and everybody who's interested. Um, and it's, uh, I can do courses within organizations. I can do them online, et cetera. Um, or I can just pre-record videos specifically for groups that are interested in doing that for at the moment for a charity. And the idea is, is simply to allow people to benefit without feeling like they need to change their identity, benefit from the, the, the proven um, techniques of, of meditation. Wow. And meditation, I, I've come across it. People are a little bit reluctant to to get it, well, I suppose I think it's a bit what's, you know, woo or out there. 
what what are the actual what are the benefits you say he was right but what are the benefits that you personally have experienced from the place that you wear what are the tangible things that you've got from it uh well i mean it's massive for me um and i think in truth one of the things that i do in my very first session with watchfulness generally is highlight some of the proven benefits i mean harvard university have been harvard medical school have been studying it for 30 years And actually, I've got to the stage where if people listening to this are sort of doubtful as to whether meditation can actually help, well, the reality is now that it's it's completely categorically proven to work. And I know that you're asked specifically about my own personal experience, but I'll just quickly put it into context that, you know, the research shows very clearly that the, the pressures of modern day life, and this is before even a pandemic comes along and slaps us, they're intense. They drive up our blood pressure. They drive up even uh, um, our, abil- our body's ability to deal with blood sugar levels. You know, it sort of affects that. It drives up um, levels of anxiety, levels of stress, the cortisone um, uh, hormone in the body. You know, and in, in a sense, what they've shown through research is that modern life gradually changes us as people to be more wound up generally not normal people that are occasionally stressed but stressed people that are occasionally not stressed it's like we become a more stressed version of ourselves and and what harvard medical school proved in 30 years is they're they're one of the main doctors at the the university studying this said it's absolutely proven now to reverse that so that we can reverse the pressures of modern day life through simple breathing exercises and it sounds too good to be true in a way but that's been my personal experience, you know, and that was quite early on, as I've already said, you know, within even just a handful of times practicing meditation and not being particularly open to it, not being particularly interested in it. Actually, it reversed that effect for me. It brought me back to what you might say is a better version of myself. And I think probably one of the biggest benefits I've had is learning to accept that life happens like there is a kind of flow of life that kind of happens and if we can be more at peace with whatever comes our way just sort of more accepting of whatever comes our way and sort of take a roll with the punches as they say actually life gets much easier and there's more research that shows that more than 90 percent of the worries that we have typically about the future never come true and that's what I mean by rolling with the punches. Often we can walk around sort of absorbed in what might happen, worried about what might happen. Yeah. And actually the evidence, the research shows that for the vast majority of those worries we have, they never actually happen. And the, the slightly sad point, though, is that the brain and body don't know the difference between what we imagine and what actually happens. So we suffer, and this I was certainly suffering you know, years ago from so much anxiety, so much stress of what might be. And that's because what I worry about, my body doesn't know whether that's different from what's actually happening, and my cortisol stress levels, et cetera, all go up right. as a response. So that's what I've personally found is that the, the simple meditation exercises, simple meditation techniques can really actually change us back to being a, a calmer version, less stressed, less worried version of ourselves. Wow, that sounds pretty good. Now, you've, you've mentioned a couple of things I want to come back to. Cortisol. Now, I've heard about that. What is it exactly, Paul? Is it is it like um, something your brain 
pushes out is it a what is it a hormone a, a chemical what 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 are the sort of side effects of it so what i won't profess to be is a doctor yeah um but what I can say is cortisol is the, the stress hormone. That's what it's referred to as a stress hormone. Yeah. And that's what is released into our body to help us. And all of these systems that we have, we have this system we've probably all heard of fight or flight. Yeah. And this is a system within our body, which is designed deliberately to help protect us. So if I'm about to step out in front of a bus, what I don't need my brain and my body to do is take time to think about the best course of action. I need my body to react immediately and make me shift. And so this fight or flight system within my body, it in a way bypasses thinking and it says, let's get out of the bloody way, move quickly. Yeah. And it increases the cortisol level, the stress hormone, it increases the, the, uh, the heart rate and I move. It tightens the muscles ready for action and I shift out of the way of that bus. Yeah. The problem is that cortisol and this fight or flight system, the, the the reality is our brains haven't evolved fully to tell the difference between have I stepped out in front of a bus or is there something less threatening happening in my life, but my body doesn't know the difference. Right. So what's happening for a lot of us is we're responding to situations that aren't life threatening, but with this life threatening response in our body. So we, our cortisol levels, stress hormone is increasing and we're, frankly overreacting to situations and to some extent walking around in a kind of fight or flight state for quite a lot of the time when it isn't needed right so i've heard something about this you know like the lion chasing the antelope and the antelope gets this cortisol shot and does it lead on to adrenaline it can leg it and get away from the lion but then it disappears and it chills out again and it's a bit like is it a bit like us it's like as if we're being chased by that lion or saber-toothed tiger continuously we're on edge with this whole thing would that be a, a good sum up of it would, have i got that right have i got that wrong yeah that's exactly right and that's what um harvard medical school essentially found was that if we if we trust the body's this fight or flight system if we trust the body's response to the situations that we face and it's overreacting a lot of the time then you're right it's essentially we live life we can live life like we're constantly being chased constantly under threat whereas actually when we stop calm the emotions and then look at life in a slightly with a different perspective you go hang on it really isn't that threatening and therefore it's damaging for my whole body in terms of blood pressure in terms of mental health etc it's damaging for my overall well-being to be in this state of fight or flight this state of fear this state of overreaction when frankly the situations that i'm facing don't warrant it it's not it's not necessary so yeah you describe the antelope he goes to a state of chill if you saw the antelope in the wild freaking out the whole time because it thought there was a lion there when there wasn't you'd think it had lost the plot but in a way that's what we do yeah, mad. I've just got a vision of Bambi on the ice, like, you know, slipping all over the place. And uh, yeah. Now, the other thing you mentioned there, Paul, is breathing. And I think sometimes that word meditation has those connotations of this Far Eastern promise. And we visualize sitting cross legged, uh, you know, with your hands sort of, I don't know what do you call it, sort of cupped. 
yeah. I'm, I'm making the signs on a podcast and nobody can see, but you know what I mean? Like up, up, upturned tulips or whatever you call it. I don't know. Anyway, so it's, it's not about that, is it? And you, you said a key word. And if we could reframe what meditation is. So not using the word meditation, could you come back to that? And because you said that word breathing, what, how would you describe it? Not using the word meditation. Yeah, and, and essentially what you're asking there is the same question that I had to ask when I came up with this idea of watchfulness, because what I didn't want was for people like me, who were frankly not interested at all in this idea of what could be seen as quite an austere practice, and I you walk around with a shaved head and orange robes. <laughs> I mean, I have to have a shaved head because I've got no hair, but if I, if I had a choice, I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> you know so it's about how do we make takes the reality is there's benefits from it yeah but yes it's wrapped up in all sorts of interesting practices and my my quest was to say well how do we extract the things that are useful and make that available without any of the other stuff that comes with it needing to change our identity or change the way that we live but just to benefit from those simple things so so therefore what did i extract and and ultimately again i'm going to keep going back to harvard medical school because what they showed was that the things that add most value are the things that reverse the body's response to modern life so what is our response to modern life is the heart rate quickens the blood pressure increases the breathing shortens it gets shallower faster all of this is a natural response to modern day life and we probably don't spend an awful lot of time paying attention to how we feel or am i breathing slowly and deeply or short and fast yeah and what the research shows is that literally just by reversing those the the, the effects that modern day life have on us by learning to breathe more deeply learning to let go of our thoughts and worries only for a short time. And this is why actually attending a, a kind of session where someone's guiding you through um, watchfulness is and it's a much easier way of doing it because you go, you know what, for the, for the next 30 minutes, I'm just going to do what I'm told. And one of the things that I'll tell people is let go of your worries just for now. I talk about worries as luggage. We feel like they're actually attached to us. Yeah. So no, no, worries are luggage. We choose to carry them around. If we put them down just for a short time, breathe, calm our emotions, then we're in a more resilient state to look at our worries. And some of them we'll pick up and deal with. Some of them we go, they weren't even worries. They weren't even worth it in the first place. I'm leaving them behind. Yeah. So that's ultimately what watchfulness is and what a kind of a more accessible version of meditation is. It's learning to breathe, calm the emotions, and just put our worries down for a short time. And finally, I mean, the term watchfulness is very specifically about a state that we we achieve. I mean, sometimes it takes a few weeks to be able to achieve it. But when we sit there and we let we calm our emotions and we calm how we feel, yeah. actually, we can get into this state where we're just at peace. And we can look at the world without reacting. We can even look at, I describe it, imagine it, you're the, you're the eye of a storm. Yeah. Everything around you is going bananas, but you're able to stand at peace and just look at it without reacting, look at it without getting involved, just almost taking a small step back from whatever's going on in our lives to just be at peace. And that's achieved, as I say, just simply through breathing and through just trying to train the mind a little bit to stop worrying as much as it does. 
Wow. Well, what would be good in the episode notes, if we can put a reference to those, the Harvard research, that'd be great. And I know you've got a website with Watchful about watchfulness. So Paul, what I've personally have found meditation to be hugely beneficial. What started my journey in a way was I'd heard all about it and I read a book called The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod and there are a number of things he talked about getting a morning routine and that sort of solidified my commitment I guess to doing this and I've used a meditation app I've used Calm and I've used another one called Headspace which helped me initially and I just wondered what would be your recommendation to people what would be the process sort of literally a beginner's guide to just getting into this where where would somebody start you know what time of day what are they sitting on the floor on a chair you know literally from the very start what what would you recommend how would people get involved in in just giving this a go just like you gave it a go 20 years ago and realized the benefits what advice would you give to people um, well i mean the simplest way is to attend a session um I mean, I do, so if people are interested, I do every Sunday morning at 8.30 in the morning, um, a free session as a link from Watchfulness website. I mean, what I find over the last 20 years, and this is from, you know, speaking to literally thousands of people that have, you know, that I've helped to integrate meditation and watchfulness into their life, is that literally everyone that I've spoken to says it's easier to join a guided session um, because for some reason... Maybe it's because it's our attention is we're sat down. It's a session where other people are on and we're all doing it together. I don't know what it is, but there's something about joining a guided session where in the beginning, you're just essentially following the advice of someone who's experienced in doing it. And I think that by far is the easiest way to get started because it can feel quite daunting to sit on your own and have a go. Um, now other ways so um, and if anybody's interested I offer you know I do free sessions every Sunday morning at 8.30 linked from watchfulness.org.uk there's a link to the webinar um, there's also recorded sessions on the website which you know you can go and watch on the catch up on demand any of the sessions that we've been running on Sundays this year um, so beyond that I think in truth actually it's it can be difficult to to do people will try and then say it's quite difficult to get into a place of feeling peaceful Um, and then also what they don't have is someone to be able to respond to that so people might tell me on my on the Sunday sessions I found that difficult to get into don't worry I'll say just come back give it a few weeks and you'll find that it gradually gets easier Um, but yes there are other apps of course different things that you can use and if you can't join a live session or you know then maybe try one of those apps but i haven't personally tried them so i can't sit here and, and, and sort of say how much they will help obviously you you've personally found that they've been helpful chris well i think i found it daunting just like you did so i just couldn't i just couldn't get my head around it i i couldn't visualize what meditation really was and you know whether you've got to have those clinging bells going and and stuff like that you see in a tibetan monastery so what really helped me was just bringing the whole thing down to earth it it made it feel normal it has benefited me in in being able to follow something and i'm a follower it's a bit like a cook Uh, if i'm going to cook something i like to have a recipe to follow and after a while after we've used that recipe over and over again 
we then gain the knowledge and the confidence to be able to sort of do it on our own without referring back to the recipe. And that's how I've seen the benefit of any form of guidance. So on your website, I've done, uh, I've done those sessions with you uh, and anything really just to, just to be as a guide. Now on, on the whole thing, right down to a practical level so that people could understand where let's talk about location where where would be the best place to do meditation what what should the environment be to present you know to for the ideal way to get the most from meditation or watchfulness um well i don't think we need i don't think it needs to be terribly prescriptive really i mean if i just reflect back and the you know looking at we get a couple of hundred people every Sunday morning and I look up the different locations on Zoom, I can see they're all in different locations. So I think probably the only thing is to try and minimise the distractions because, you know, what we're trying to do when we practice watchfulness is have a bit of time for ourselves. We're trying to get away from the stresses and the, the busyness that our lives generally demand of us and therefore probably what we don't want during the session is the kids to be charging around in the background or <laughs> pinging notifications on the phone or whatever we want to be able to give ourselves that space so that's probably all i would say i mean in time as people get into it more and as the weather's getting nicer i've personally found sitting you know out in in nature a really powerful way of doing it um but I do think, to your point, I think that's probably after you've got the basics nailed and you're confident to be able to go and do it without guidance. So, yeah, just somewhere quiet um, where, and, and very importantly, where you're comfortable, you can sit comfortably because what you don't also want is your body aching and feeling you know, giving you a hard time because you're sat in some austere posture um, with your legs all bent funny just to, to practice you know, to sit comfortably and in a quiet space. And just sit comfortably in a, in a normal chair, an armchair, a dining chair. I know this sounds quite fundamental, but I certainly thought, can I sit for 30 minutes cross-legged or however long it took? And that can just put people off. So just a comfy chair, is that all you need with the back on it? Right Very on important it. to be comfortable, yeah. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a subscriber. I think what, what you're referring to, you know, you get these various, what in, in yoga terms would be called asanas, different postures. Yeah. You know, there is a, a thousands of years of tradition where meditation has been part of other traditions. So that might yeah. be a religious tradition or that might be a, you mentioned Tibetan monks, it's a way of life. Um, or you've got, as I say, yoga. And the reality is all of those different practices have got meditation as part of them. But that doesn't mean that you have to you do those practices to benefit from meditation. You can pull the meditation bit out and practice it in everyday normal life. So yeah, no special poses required. Sit comfortably in a quiet space, and that's absolutely great. Brilliant. And how much time? So we get in a quiet place. We're going to find a comfy place to sit. How much time would we need to set aside initially to to do this exercise? Well, so you know, if I you know, I've got on my website uh, the, the the sort of main watchfulness exercise, which is a very simple guided. Uh, meditation exercise and that is about 15 minutes right. um so that would be long enough um the sessions that i do on a sunday morning will be anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes typically um and that's because there is often a little bit of extra material in there plus we'll sit at the end of the session and enjoy a little bit of calming music but yeah so anywhere between 15 and 30 minutes is plenty okay so if we, that's a minimum we need to find, that's great. And 
one of the things that I think for me, and I'm not going to assume from listeners or from your point of view, but you can get into a habit, can't you? Sort of we get up in the morning and we'll be brushing our teeth and having our breakfast to create this positive habit of watchfulness meditation. How often would we need to do it and how long would we need to be sort of repeating this for from your perspective? How long does it take? Because I know you and your family do it, don't you? It's, it's a very natural part of your day. How, how long do people need to do it for and, and sort of what's the gap in between repeating it and what advice could you give there? Well, see, this is a tricky one for me because, yes, you're absolutely right. You know, me, my wife, two boys, one more, one of my boys more engaged than the other. But we've sat down every morning since they were born and our eldest is 14. So for them, um, it's a normal part of everyday life. However... My experience of doing sessions with, you know, people that are trying it for the first time is that generally people, you know, they want to they want to make it work for themselves. And so I'm a big believer, actually, rather than prescribing, I know the Miracle Morning book and I know it, it encourages really healthy habits. I mean, if people could do that, if people would fit in even five or ten minutes in the morning, it's really helpful. However, I'm a big believer that what certainly when I think about meditation, that what people need to do is feel it. Yeah. You know, so try it and then be honest with yourself. Do you feel better? And if you feel better, then you need to give yourself that time because it's really easy, even when we benefit from things, to then get wrapped up in everything and then look back and go, oh, I really enjoyed that thing I did a year ago. It was really beneficial and I've been stressed <laughs> everything. And I should have done it more. Um, so if we have to, first of all, be honest with ourselves. If it, we try it and if it helps go, you know what, I'm going to have to find time because it's helpful. But then my view is trying to do it once a week initially is enough. And then you follow your heart. You know, if it feels right to do it more, a little bit more frequently, then you follow your heart. If you try it and you go, you know what, actually, it's not really helping me to do more. Very, very, for me, it's very important that something like this is something that we, we feel rather than we think. We don't sort of plan it into our diary because we think it's the right thing to do. We actually feel whether it's the right thing to do. Does that make sense? Great advice. Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Paul, I'm loving that concept of feeling it. It's so, so important. That really does make the difference. That's the thing that encourages us to keep going. I, I heard something the other day. If it's easy, simple and pleasurable, we will continue to do it. So I think it's really important. It's a great message. Back to what you said, you mentioned your family, Paul, and it's quite interesting that 20 years ago before you got involved in this, that you weren't doing it, yet I know it's a big family thing. In fact, I, I, am I right in saying that uh, you and Damini may even, that's, that's the thing that brought you together? Yes, yeah, so um, I was on holiday in Italy. My wife is Bulgarian. Um, she was working at an international school in Italy where she moved when she was 16. Um, initially as kind of one of these sort of working holidays and then stayed because Italy is great why wouldn't you um, and I was on holiday in Italy and yeah we met and I think it was that the fact that you know we were from very different cultures very different backgrounds but because we both had this interest in uh, in meditation or in you know so yes yoga more yoga than if anyone knows but yoga the word yoga means union uh, and there's various different approaches to yoga. There's yogas that you do 
what I've mentioned before, asanas, which are postures. So you'll do all sorts of postures, which I believe is, uh, I used to practice that at college, found it really beneficial. Keep promising that I'm going to go back and do it again as I get older. It's, I mean, it's so beneficial for the body that or things like Pilates are really, really good. I, of course, never got around to doing it, but um but yeah, so we, uh, yoga is also, you know, a term that is used for, you know, sort of a gen- general term that can be used sometimes for the sitting and learning to be more self-aware and practice meditation. And, and so, yeah, we were at a kind of, we bumped into one another at a kind of yoga retreat in a way. It was very kind of informal. Um, there's a few thousand people there just enjoying the weather in the mountains in Italy. But there was also sort of once a day, sometimes twice a day, short meditation exercises where we just sit and and and, and chill um, so it's very, i was expecting it to be much more full-on but it ended up just being a really lovely calming holiday with a bit of meditation mixed in which was great so yes we met and she interestingly had been sort of practicing that since the age of 14 wow. um, so for her she doesn't really know a life you know she's certainly been meditating for twice as long as she hasn't um, she doesn't really know a life whereas i started it in my mid-20s um, and that's yeah that, that general interest that shared interest is what brought us together but what was interesting is how she's then helped me grow and learn as a person because she then moved you know we we decided to get together to get married to move to the UK and um and she then discovered the western way of life you know she'd lived, lived her life in quite a chilled way and then she saw how much I analysed everything and thought about the future and worried about this. And where even after practice, I've been doing it for a couple of years at this point. Even that, she was like, wow, this guy makes life hard for himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it took years. And, it, and it's about unwinding, isn't it? Unwinding some of the ways that I, you know, that we have or I'd learned to live. And she taught me over the years to be a bit more spontaneous, to say, you know, we can't control the future. We can only control the here and now. So we have to let go of some of those worries. We have to let go of some of those anxieties. And that's what she's taught me or helped me to do. And I think now when I look at the kids, you know, what they've learned from us, I hope, is that this balance of doing the best that you can, you know, we have to apply ourselves. We have to have the posture to get up and get on with it. But that balanced with not worrying about the future not worrying so much about the outcome and acknowledging that sometimes life has a different direction and we have to go with it and when we do often that actually works out better than if we'd forged ahead even though it felt like we were bumping into every obstacle along the way so that's what i hope you know and and i certainly see that with our oldest child josh he he's a really mature really down to earth really solid little guy and he's a little guy he's a big guy now um and yeah just and i'm sure that i see him he sits there every morning with us to meditate and he just is in sort of contact with himself he knows himself he has faith and belief in himself and i think that's really rewarding to see that and hopefully then that's our main goal is to help them as they continue to grow to put in perspective the anxieties and the worries they have and say you know what I've done my best and that's all I can do. Let it go. So yeah, hopefully that answers the question, but it is, it is a family. Now I would say actually our youngest is less interested. It's more of a persuasion to get him to sit and do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, And I hope as he grows, he sees the benefit and that's fair enough. And that's the same for everybody, right? We're not going to force him to, 
to be interested in this. He joins us if he wants. He doesn't join us if he doesn't want, and that's his choice. So I think that also for everybody listening, that's that. That has to be our personal choice, doesn't it? We can't be forced to sit down and, and chill if we'd rather be doing something else. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, and that's that's a good message as well, isn't it, Paul? Because I think life's a lot about timing. If for people listening, this idea of meditation doesn't resonate with them right now. That doesn't mean it's something that you'll never end up doing. And also people around you. I think we've got to be very careful about getting all enthusiastic about something we hear to loved ones, the people close to us, because sometimes it can appear like an alien's taking over our body in one minute. You know, we're, we're not chilling and we're stressed out and then we've got this super solution. And if people aren't open-minded, it can actually even put them off. So I think it's a good point. And it's a, it's a great message that not everybody's going to be doing this straight away. They're not going to jump in there. Uh, and that's okay, isn't it? So in terms of if people want to discover more, we've got your watchfulness website. We're going to put some information on about the Harvard sort of research that's been done. Is there anything else? Are there books? Are there people to follow? Are there, are there examples of... I suppose mentors of yours are the people people like to associate with other people that are doing it. Have you got examples of that you've got in life where other people have benefited that you know or people that you follow that that do this and get a lot from it? So I'm pausing because I don't know what to say. <laughs> so this the question you asked before, of course, was you know who else could they follow, etc. The reason I pause there is that there's so much, I have, I have an issue with the motivation behind some gurus, you know, a lot of it is a business venture. A lot of it is about making money, having a following. Yeah. And that's never been something that inspires me. And in fact, so I don't know whether to say any of this, but in fact that, you know, what I learned was that if it is in any way a business venture in any way, even if there's a penny traded, it's lost its value because it can't be about that. It has to be about genuinely wanting to share something that is valuable. And that's it. End of no return to the sender. Um, and that's why I always hesitate. If someone says, oh, what else could I... I don't know the motivations of the other people doing stuff. Yeah. And I know this is going to sound ridiculous because, of course, there'll be great people out there who, you know, run meditation classes and so forth. And, of course, people pay. And I'm not criticising them. I'm not in any way questioning them. But the... Uh, so, therefore, this might be a failing on my part. But I have a strong belief. This is what I've learned over the years. I've never paid a penny to learn what I've learned and I've been sort of taught to believe that if people are paying money it's some yes there could be real value in it but there's also a business venture there um and, and therefore I tend not to recommend other sort of people practicing because I am a firm believer that this is the sort of thing that should be a life skill taught for free it should be taught in schools for free it shouldn't be a business venture. That's my view, and I'm, I'm, I know that, that, that there will be people that disagree with that. So, all I can say is for people to try to look. There's plenty out there. I mean, it's very, very easy to find. Obviously, as I say, watchfulness is there. The, the, the catch up on demand and the free sessions on Sundays. But there's apps you can download, as you've already referred to. There'll be classes in your local area, as and when you know we're able to attend. 
And all I would do is encourage people if they're going to try these things, it's just to be honest with themselves about how they feel. If it helps you, then then carry on. That's great. If it doesn't, then be honest with yourself um, and then try something else. I think that's a great philosophy, Paul. I think that's really important. It's a great message. Yeah, if uh, you're right, uh, there is a business behind a lot of these things and it's really, it's a philosophy of the podcast is to give great information for free without looking to monetize it or do anything just to help people. And if we can impact one person, one listener, then then that's that's what it's all about. So I think that's, it fits perfectly with the ethos of, of this podcast as well. So thank you for that. Paul, we've got, you've given us some great information. I'm sure there's listeners are going to be looking at looking at your website. I'll put a link to that as well. I've got a few, four more questions I'd like to ask of you. And really around, I suppose they're personal things, but I'm always intrigued. They say the people that you meet and the books that you read will change your life. And I'm always interested in people's philosophy of to life. And I've got four questions I want to ask you. So number one would be live. What would, what does living mean to you? How would you do it? What makes you feel alive? So for me, I think living is about really knowing ourselves. Uh, I mean, I was having an interesting conversation with someone a while back and they were wondering, why am I spending so much money? Why am I buying all this stuff already? And what I just asked them one question and it totally threw them. I said, what's important to you? What are your values? What are important to you? But it was just a blank. And I said, you know, and I think part of this was essentially a bit of a coaching conversation. I think part of a good coaching conversation is to sometimes hold the mirror up and reflect back. And I reflected back and said, all I've heard and everything you've said is that you have one value and that is ambition. And what, I, what I've heard, though, is that ambition is costing you happiness. And then as a consequence, you're going out and buying loads of stuff to try and make yourself happy. I said, what else is important in life? And how, how connected are you to your own values and how well are you living by what's important to you, those values? So I think that's for me what living is about. is about knowing that, A, we know ourselves, we know what's important to us, and B, that we're actually living a life that is aligned to those values. And in a way, this relates back to watchfulness, because what watchfulness is about is saying, if we can calm the stress in, in our body's reaction to everyday life, then maybe we don't need to work so many hours. Maybe one of the things I talk about in watchfulness is materialism and how we've got to recognise that some of what we think is important in life is being drummed into us by very sophisticated advertising campaigns and now apps and all this stuff that's bombarding us. And actually, there's a really interesting um, series on Netflix called Minimalism, or I think it's just a, a single film, actually, all about this idea of minimalism. And people deliberately getting rid of stuff because they realise that it has an impact on how we feel. We never feel like we've got enough. We want so that for me is what living is. It's about being really honest with ourselves about what's important, and then making choices in our life that align with that. If that means we downsize our house because we want more time with our family, or we get rid of the big car because we realise the payments for it mean that we have to work longer hours etc etc know who we are know what's important and then make the choices in life to live by that and finally throw away any need to try and impress other people i love this idea that we spend and it comes across in that netflix film 
we spend all this money and time trying to impress people that we either don't know or we don't like. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, so hopefully that, that gives you an idea that live by our values, I guess, is what I'd say. Brilliant, brilliant. Paul, you mentioned the um, that film, and I've been following these guys there, the minimalists, um, Josh and Ryan. I'll put a link to their. They do a lovely essay regularly, which I receive, and they also do a podcast, and they've got that minimalism film, and they've got a new film out on, on Netflix as well. I'll put the link to that as well that I've, I've watched recently, and I'm absolutely with you because I was that guy <laughs> that was buying shit I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. And I think we have a number of light bulb moments in our lives. Events influence us greatly. And understanding what you've just said and dropping that need for materialism, impressing people is a really, really important point. So I, I really thank you for that. That's brilliant. So next question is love. What, what do you love doing, Paul? Or what do you love about who you are and what you do around the word love? Love, I mean, it's an interesting one because I... I only have my, my one word response to that is simple. Right. I, you know, I, and in a way it's related to the previous question. It's related to this idea of knowing what's important to us. And I, you know, I, I remember a few years ago, I went, I was very lucky. Uh, I was going to two conferences, um, kind of network marketing type conferences, one in, in Orlando, one in Las Vegas, there was more than a week in between. So I flew to San Diego, worked from this hotel in San Diego, wandered around San Diego, got a little hire car, a little sporty hire car, drove to Las Vegas, was then in all the light, and it all sounds so glamorous. And I came home and it was a really interesting experience for me. I got home and I was like, now I'm happy. I'm just at home in the, the kind of home comforts. And it was a really interesting experience for me to realise that what makes me happy, what I love, is just the simple things in life. And that as much as I know I, what I've just described as a trip sounds amazing, I sit here thinking, oh, I wish I could do that now. But when I go back to what it actually felt like to be in all those places, it's kind of like, eh, I'm just in some place. And it's either great or not great, but actually hasn't improved my life at all other than it's just work get home have a cup of coffee with a family and then i'm happy so that's probably i love frankly i've just realized over the years that it doesn't take very much to make me happy and in fact it's the simplest things in life that make me happy and the final thing i will say so simple and puppy because the one thing that we were very lucky to do just before all of this sort of lockdown situation kicked in was have the arrival of our new puppy and she is an absolute blast so a cup of coffee at home with a puppy and the family and i'm absolutely at bliss <laughs> that sounds like bliss to me as well it's it's interesting i uh, i i bought over the lockdown well i actually bought it for my son because he asked for one and then we got duplicated somehow through amazon and i bought a hand coffee grinder and i bought it because i love my coffee and i know you love my your coffee as well but the time it takes just to pour a handful of beans into the hand coffee grinder and just grind them meant that i just took that little bit more time over the coffee you could savor the smell i love the the smell of ground coffee beans and 
just the smell of coffee. And I, I keep, a, sometimes I write down things I'm grateful for and I'm with you, grateful for coffee. It's just, a, <laughs> you know, if you take the time and they say slow down and smell, smell the coffee beans, don't they? So I think that's a great point. And as far as dogs are concerned, you talked earlier about living in the moment. We've got dogs, we've got three wonderful whippets and we've had dogs in the past before them. And I look at a dog sometimes and dogs live in the moment, don't they, Paul? They're, they're not thinking about the future. They're not worrying about the past. They don't worry about what they're wearing. Their coat is like, they've always got on what they need to have on. It's just, I've, I've sometimes I just look at them and just think it, life is simple for them, isn't it? They're relaxed. A dog will just lie across a corridor, a right of way. They're not thinking about where they're going to get trodden on or they're just, they're just there in the moment. They love wherever they are. They, they greet you wonderfully. They love a walk. I've just been before this podcast walking them in our local park and it is a great feeling. So I'm with you. It's, that's a, a, a really, really good message. Thank you for that. And I just want to quickly add to that. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> actually what, what you've said there is, and I, I, I once heard this phrase, you know, never look for the negatives in other people always look for the positives and actually you will imbibe those positive qualities and if you admire even if there's someone that you don't like very much but you look in that person for the things that you admire in them the positives then that's what you can learn from them if you focus on the negatives you'll learn the negatives so focus on the positives always and uh, and as you say with a dog honestly i look at this labrador puppy and if the one amazing quality if i get grumpy i'm doing some diy i'm doing a lot of decorating at the moment i'm doing some diy and I get paint all over the floor and I get cross. Her response is to charge up to me, leap on top of me, lick me. And it's like, my God, her inbuilt response to seeing someone else unhappy and stressed is to go and soothe them, to cheer them up, to give them love. And I guess just to your point there, in the same way that we should look for the positives in people, I just, I look at dogs. I like you have had dogs all my life. I look at dogs and I think if I could just be a bit more dog, <laughs> then I would be happier and those around me would be happier. Because I'll tell you, when someone loses it around me, I can react and go, oh, what are you doing that for? Yeah. If I go up and lick them and give them a hug, I mean, you might find them looking a bit strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could might get away with the hug after lockdown, but definitely not the licking bit. I'd leave that. <laughs> Excellent. And another question then, what makes you laugh? Or what do you find fun? Because I think you'd agree it's important, isn't it? And I'm, I'm, I get criticised. Do I say laugh or laugh? But whichever way it is, you know what I mean. <laughs> um, well, for me, I have always had this view that growing up is is ill-advised. Um, you know, and actually, I will do generally whatever i can to embarrass those around me um, and that puts a smile <laughs> on my face uh, and my wife yes she loves it and he's cringed out by it as are the boys so yeah really taking any opportunity to act like a complete prat say this is an example you're we walking our lovely dog i have this most peculiar habit of giving dogs very peculiar names so her name is willow right but for some reason, I've decided to call her Hadabidapuchkis. <laughs> so we were out walking 
uh, on the hills, this lovely area in Warwickshire, these hills. And I stood on the top of this hill at the top of my lungs and was shouting, and my wife and my boys, there's other people around are just head in their hands, like, oh my God. And the best part, someone then, quite far away, I heard it then echo back. <laughs> Some complete stranger was then responding, screaming, had a bit of Poochie's back at me. Um, so, yeah, that's what makes me laugh is doing whatever I can. And I think the reason for that is that I've always felt that life, life somehow we're taught to take everything far too seriously. And, and I don't agree with it. I think they're actually looking for opportunities to be kids. And I have boys and I want to be the biggest kid in the room. Um, and the reason I do it is that there's enough reasons to be serious in life. Why not find some reasons to be a big kid? Oh, Paul, absolutely. I, I, my, I have collect lots of sayings, but one of mine is life is too serious to be taken seriously. And I'm with you. Finally, another question then. We talk about learning is important. Learning, growing. I always say if you're learning and growing, you're not dying. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given or the the most important lesson you've learned in life? Wow, there's a question. I think probably it would be to, to not believe in the rules. You know, we might think that because of our backgrounds or we might think because of our education or we might think because of whatever, that only so much is available to us in life. And the truth is, that that was an easier belief to hold on to 30 years ago when people still spent or maybe 20 years ago was when people still left college got into a job stayed in their career for 30 years 40 years retired yeah. truth is now we look all over the world who are the movers and shakers they're these young people i mean how much do these kids earn on them in youtube i think it's like an eight-year-old kid earning <laughs> 20 million quid in a year or something crazy you know so i think what's happened over the last few years is that we've been shown that the old rules no longer apply. Anybody can achieve what they want in life. What they have to have is firstly the self-belief to go, you know what, I'm going to try this thing, give it a go. And if it fails, it fails. I had a really interesting chat to someone the other day, yeah. three businesses they've had, two of them failed, one of them succeeded. And I said, how do you keep going? How do you have the courage to start another business? And he said, well, I'm really lucky like that. He says, I've always considered failure a good thing because you learn and therefore my ambition these days is to fail as quickly as possible <laughs> it's not a good idea it'll fail and that's fine so this idea that you know we failure is bad or we have to follow the rules you get a job work up the system it's the whole thing is no longer valid and i think that's my answer to your question is don't believe in the rules believe in yourself have a go be prepared to fail and enjoy the process and just keep repeating until you find what you enjoy and find the success you're looking for. Brilliant answer, Paul. Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it. And Paul, you've given us, donated some of your most precious asset, which is your time to the podcast. Really appreciate you doing that. I'm going to be putting links to the various things we talked about in the episode notes. And uh, I just want to thank you for, for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Chris. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us and tell your friends. If you would like free access to our special members podcast, where we share even more fabulous stuff, 
Just email chris at chriswilliams.biz. But if you hated it, remember to tell your enemies to listen.